Amen. Well, thank you for coming tonight. It's good to see you all. And we've been in our study um, uh, on uh, Ephesians chapter, well, we've been in chapter 5. I have a question, uh, Ray. Or am I clicking? Or are you clicking? Okay, you're up there? Okay, I'll let Ray click. Uh, so um, let me just kind of, I kind of truncated the message really short last week at the end. So I'm going to just kind of pick up uh, where we left off. But it's, uh, if you have your Bibles, be in Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to pick up literally where I left off last week. And then I'm going to segue into this, sec- this session, which matches your notes. And there's, you don't need notes to, to, to pick up what I'm about to share with you out of Ephesians 5 from last week. I had one thought that I wanted to just pick up on uh, from the previous weeks. And so, um, Ray's up there flipping through the things. Let me just kind of back up. Um, okay, we'll just stick to that. Chapter 5. Uh, we're in verses... We're, I'm going to just bring you down to verse, uh, verse 19. And... Um, I'm sorry, verse, not verse 19, but verse, I'm in the wrong chapter. There we go. It is verse 19. I'm on the, <clears throat> I'm on the right, cha- right verse in the wrong chapter on my, in my Bible page. But at any rate, I want to just pick it up in verse 19 of chapter 5. And I want to read the text, uh, and then we'll get into some other things about the text regarding wedding uh, the, and, and walking and wedding and all of those things. But uh, before I get into that, I just want to pick up something about that we were talking about, about walking circumspectly. So let's just uh, pick up in verse 19. It says that we should be, well, let, let me back up a little bit further. This is what we were talking about last week. Um, and just in, by way of reminder, uh, we started off in chapter 4, verse, and we, and we verse, started in verse 30, talking about grieving the, the Holy Ghost, not grieving the Holy Ghost, how our souls are sealed into the day of redemption letting all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now that really concluded the section that we had on unity in chapter chapters uh, 3 and 4. But he really transitions to this I- issue of how we ought to behave, which is perfect for duty, which is really chapters 5 and 6. Really, what do we need to be doing? And so right off the bat, and we've already covered this, he talks about how we need to be walking in love in verse 2. And then he, he segues down to verse 8 and talks about how we need to walk as children of light in verse 8. And then in verse 15, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So it starts off with this, this internal issue of walking in love and then walking as uh, you know children of light and then walking circumspectly, right? So it's kind of inward. And then it's kind of walk, and then it's kind of emulating uh, the light that's in us. And then now we're like, he's like, you know, you need to be aware of what's around you. Be aware of your surroundings. And this is all dealing with the walk. Now in verse fifteen, he goes on to say, redeeming the time because the days are uh, are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so we've talked about that. We should know the will of the Lord. The Bible is God's will and testament. This we even call it the New Testament. And it's, uh, that's what he calls it in his blood, right? And the Hebrews tells us that. So we have a New Testament. And upon his ascension, uh, he gave us the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the local church. So we know what our inheritance is. We've already seen that in the first chapter. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So we need to know what the will is so that we can redeem the time for the days are evil. That's why we need to walk circumspectly, right? So you guys get all that. And then he gives us some real action items that we talked about last week. And be not drunk with wine... Wherein is excess, 
right? Don't be all, don't, don't over drink, right? Be drunk, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit, right? And instead of being drunk, be filled with the Spirit, capital S, proper noun, talking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, right? So when you go to the, when you go to the club and you start drinking, it's boom, 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 everybody's getting excited and dancing and they're drinking and having a good... He says, now, don't do that. That is not what you do. But you do get filled with the Spirit and you do open your mouth and you kind of do the same thing, but you do it for Jesus, right? So there's something going on over here that's... Well, that's not for God, but there's something going on over here and that's really where the good time is at when you're praising God and you got the Spirit of God in you, right? Okay, so giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So I want to just park on that for just a moment. I'm not going to take long here and just finish up a little bit of what I had last week. This goes under walk circumspectly. This is just the last thing I wanted to, to point out. And, and, and this is important because it's a good way to introduce what we're going to talk about next in, in just a few minutes about um, not just walking uh, in Christ, but then uh, wed in Christ, like wedding. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And so in this passage, number one is we want to see that we're praising God. And uh, if when we're praising God, we're going to have our, our own psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're going to be singing, making melody in our heart to the Lord, as I pointed out. Right. So we're, that's something that we should be doing. Right. That's not it's really not optional. Oh, I just don't sing. How many of you? I, I don't either. But I sing anyway. There's some folks in our church. I promise you they don't sing because they're gifted. They just sing. And uh, it's good. And God loves it. I may not like it. It's like maybe sounds like a foghorn. But you know what? Praise God. They're singing to the Lord because God told them to be. They're joyful. They got the spirit of God in them. It's the same thing, right? Uh, you know, not everyone at the bar is singing with a good voice either. But once they get a few drinks in them, they're all opened up and singing to the Lord. I can remember when it, how I was when I first got... I remember coming to church. And uh, I can remember when I was lost, actually. This is a big deal. I talked about this at the men's conference, if you guys were at the, those that were at the men's conference. And I can still remember how God, how praise was, has impacted me. I, I've always loved music. Uh, but but when I was a, a little kid, my grandpa took me to church down at Odessa. It's where he lived, and I was spending the night with him. And I'd never seen anybody sing uh, a hymn or sing to God at all in my life. So I'm about nine years old, never seen one sing to God. And I'm at this church, and they're singing. I mean, it's not like a little singing. They're in 1970s uh, or 80s or whatever it was. Isn't still the 70s, late 70s. In, in 70s mode, they were rocking the house, but that was a whole different thing from today. There was really no rocking going on, but they were, they were singing loud, you know, and this church was full. We were in the balcony. The church was full. They're singing, and I just looked at my, my grandpa. I just remember looking up at him, and he is full-throated just bellowing and singing with his complete being, and man, I'm just like watching that, and it, it just left an impression on me. I mean, I was like, I, I didn't know how to articulate it. I didn't say a thing about it afterwards. It just it's set in my heart, and I never forgot it. And uh, when I got saved, I remember going to the, the, our first, uh, well, it was actually our second church service um, that I attended, which was at Kansas City Baptist Temple. No, it was my third church service I attended after I got saved, Kansas City Baptist Temple. And it was, just, it, was just, it was about this many people in chairs, about this much space, and people were singing, and I just sat there, and I didn't want to sing. But, you know, it's just like, the Spirit of God took over. Next thing you know, I'm like, I want to learn these. I want to sing these songs. You know, I went from Van Halen to 
whatever we were singing, Victory in Jesus. From Van Halen to Victory in Jesus. It, I didn't really care what style it was. I hear so much stuff today about the style of music. and It didn't really matter to me because what I was wanting to do, there's something about the Spirit of God singing praise to God. And there's all kinds of liberty in the styles. But the point is, is that, that that's what Paul's talking about. You know what? Part of what happens when we're right with God, when we're walking in love, when we're walking in light, and when we're walking circumspectly, is it produces a joyfulness in our heart because we're submitting to the Lord Jesus through the Spirit of God. And then we're thankful to God, right? And that's what he says as well. And this is an emphasis on what he says in chapter 5 and verse 4. You might remember back there he says, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking uh, nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. And so in our culture today, what that means is we got to drop the cynicism. We all like to, there's so much fun you can have with cynicism. I'm a little cynical at times myself. So there's some fun stuff that you can do with cynicism. But really what Paul's saying is like, hey, temper that. You need to be thankful. You need to be sober. And you need to have fun with it, right? You can have fun, but you don't want to get too edgy. You don't want to get too cynical. Foolish jesting and all that stuff, which isn't convenient. That's not glorifying to God. But you can't have a great time. Be thankful and see what happens in your heart. And so uh, notice that the text says giving thanks for everything. And I've heard preachers say that you don't have to be thankful for everything. Actually, I heard when I was a young Christian, a pastor used to say that a lot. You don't have to be thankful for everything, just in everything. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And then one day I'm going through my Bible reading, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. Ephesians doesn't say in everything. It says for everything. Well, how in the world do you manage that? It's a lot easier to think about being thankful in everything, right? But when you have to be thankful for everything, you mean something that's bad has happened? How do you be thankful for bad things? That's a great question. Um, it's by it, how we're thankful for bad things is actually uh, being thankful in all things and, and for the, the knowledge that there, we are already. Now, we've already, we're now Paul's at the end, coming toward the end of Ephesians. Uh, and so he's already laid out why we could be thankful for everything because we know where we're headed. We know... We're going to be, we're one with Christ. We know that we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We know that, the, that literally the God of the universe lives in our bodies. We know that we were dead in trespasses and sins, but now we're quickened. We've been brought to life. I mean, there's all these things that he's, I mean, how can you not be thankful? There is nothing that's going to touch us, I mean, literally. I mean, there's things that touch us. I was honked off a few weeks ago because we got extorted for some information by the city. I was mad about it. But you know what? That's not going to mess up my eternal life. I mean, eventually you could come rolling in my house, take my head off, but I'm still going to heaven. I mean, you just really, you just did me a favor. Now I'm just closer to God, <laughs> literally. So, you know, I mean, there's really no way to defeat Jesus. And when Jesus is the center of, your, of who you are, man, you're pretty unstoppable. And you can be thankful for everything. That doesn't mean you like everything or you should be thankful for bad things that happen necessarily. But you can always be thankful in that that there's victory in Christ. So in that, we can be thankful for everything. So we're submitting to one another. And this is where we got to transition, and we'll get ready to here. In chapter 5, in verse uh, 19, he says, or in verse uh, 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the semicolon, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And so he concludes uh, this thought here with submitting to yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And that's really important because working together and building one another, edifying one another in love and building one another in love is not just for marriage, but it's for the bride of Christ. And we're working together so that we can be ready for the groom, which is the Lord Jesus. I'm fixing to talk about that. And that's a great segue, great transition uh, to the balance of the chapter, which we're getting ready to, to look at here in just a moment, dealing with 
the relationship of Christ and his church. So uh, let nothing be done in the church body that's through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. And that's the attitude of gratitude that we should have. All right, so uh, so I've, I've gotten that. That is what I wanted to say last week. I ran out of time. And I think that's a great place, though, to just kind of segue to where we are tonight because we've come through, and uh, I'm not going to get into all of the PowerPoint that he ran through a minute ago I was going to, but we've already covered where we've been and where we're going. If you're, if you're just joining us, I've, we've got the whole book of Ephesians outlined. Chapters 1 and 2 deal with Christ's deity. Chapters 3 and 4 is unity. Chapters 5 and 6, uh, the Christian's duty. Uh, the Christ's deity, the church's unity, the Christian's duty. Uh, we've covered chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and now we're just about to finish up chapter 5. And we're dealing with walking like Christ. We just finished that up. And now we're going to talk the balance of the night and talk about wed like Christ and the church. And then by God's grace, next week we'll pick up wax strong in Christ, war like Christ, and win people, uh, win the peace through Christ. So we'll talk about that in weeks to come. That won't get all done next week. But tonight, chapter 5, where we've been in our notes, and I've already put this in your notes. We've just covered this, walking like Christ, in Ephesians 5, 121, Ephesians 4, 32. Uh, being followers of Christ as dear children. It means that we walk in love. We walk out the positive. We, we talked about that. We mortify the negative, the wantonness, the fornication, the uncleanness, the covetousness, the filthiness, and the foolish talking and the jesting, which isn't convenient, right? We, we, we mortify that. We kill it. And then we walk in light, and then we walk circumspectly. And those are the things that we've been talking about that brings us to this point. So now we're going to talk about wed like Christ, Wed like Christ. And that's really a good way of putting it. Um, not just because I wrote it, but I, the more I study this, I'm more like, this is exactly today. God has confirmed we need to hear this. So Paul's going somewhere with this epistle, right? And he, he concluded Ephesians 4 with a charge to be kind, right? And tender-hearted, kindly affectionate. Be tender-hearted one to another. And he picked up chapter 5 with the duties of the Christian walk in love. And verse 2, and then he, the walk as children of light in verse 8, as we've covered, and then circumspectly in verse 15. And then he concludes in verse 21 with that admonition we just read, to be submitted one to another because we are submitted to Christ. Now, what is obvious with the analogy uh, of, of being not drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit in verse 18 is that God desires that we enjoy our time in the body of Christ. You know, see, that's, that's, that's the thing the devil wants to rob the Christian of is joy. I mean, people listening out there, in, in the, which probably aren't very many people listening that aren't members or part of the body, but, but people out in the world, and even a lot of people in the church, kids coming up in the church, they think, oh, man, church is a drag, a bunch of rules and regulations. I just can't do what I, I want to do what I want to do. It's like the kid that, you know, I want to do what I want to do, so I'm going to go join the Army. <laughs> so, uh, sure, go, go try that. That'll be good. And, uh, you know, it's really not a drag. And, uh, and he's, he's saying, look, don't, you don't need to go to the world for satisfaction. You, you got what you need in Christ and in the body of Christ. You've got it. So, so enjoy it. Now, I will tell you, sometimes churches don't do a very good job of helping that along because we get legalistic or we get crazy uh, with license and we don't have good liberty, biblical liberty. Okay, so if, is, is church a drag for you? Let's just not talk about everybody else. Let's talk about us. Is church a drag for us? Um, I hope not. I hope, not, I hope being with a, your family isn't a drag. So I was encouraged tonight. Uh, um, Nathan comes in and says, the kids were like, e you're eager to get here. I mean, wanted to, I'm like, man, that is, that's what a preacher wants to hear. They want to be here. You know, I hope people want to be here. 
I know there's people online tonight watching. We're glad you're watching. I know many of you want to be here, but you can't, and we miss you too. We, we want to be with you. That's the way it ought to be. We ought to want to be together. And Paul encourages us to be filled with the Spirit, singing, right, individually, corporately, being thankful, joyful, um, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the best thing going on tonight should be what's going on at HBF. I really wish we could have a band and we could just, we really, I got convicted about that. I'm like, we got to get some people up here that can sing on Wednesday nights too. That's what we really need to do. Um, But the the best thing going on is at HBF. So we should be worshipful, thankful, and joyful. That's that's, that's an outline in itself. I could have taught that. But we should enjoy coming together with one another and the Lord, and we should enjoy being one in Christ. Now, really, do you enjoy being one in Christ? I, I do. So I'm actually saying, I can... God's my witness. I can say, yep, I do. I enjoy. I get filled up when I come to church. I don't get drained out. Well, most of the time. I will tell you, on Sundays, I'm pretty drained. But that, that's another story. But I'm really encouraged. I want to be here. Uh, I got to be in church, just like I got to be in my Bible. It's not like I'm just here because I'm the preacher. <laughs> I guess if you want to be here long enough, you become the preacher. So, uh, uh, but uh, the, at the end of the day, you should want to be with your family. So, so where are you going to learn where else are you going to learn how to have a joyful, loving relationship with your spouse? Are you going to learn it at the bar? No. Are you going to learn it on the college campus? Nope. I mean, really. Where are you going to get the models that you need to look up to? Where, who, who, who do you want? Your family. Yep, your family unit. How many families are dysfunctional? Oh, yeah. All kinds. A lot of church families are struggling with dysfunction because of that as well. But we shouldn't because we have Christ. We can, we can get it together. We can pull it all together. So, so, he has, so he has been setting us up for this the whole time in the words of his epistle. He's extolled the deity of Christ, the unity of the body, and now he's really going to expose what the duty of marriage is. Um, and he's going to do that through exposing the mystery of Christ in the church. And Man, what an awesome thing that is. And I'm excited about that. What a wonderful way to engage our hearts and our minds in the hope of the resurrection and the joy of daily service uh, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you can get a hold of this, man, you're going to get a hold of something. So let's get the text. Let's look at it together. Verse 22. Familiar, too. This is something a lot of us, well, I've heard this before. Okay, well, I know. We've all heard it before, but let's listen again because we want to wed like Christ. This is what he says. Uh, And this sounds like a Debbie Downer to some of you ladies, but it's not. Submitting yourselves, right? He's just talking about all of us in the body, verse 21, one to another in the fear of God. Verse 22, now he's talking to wives. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And all the men say, amen. And, and then he says in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And the ladies say, Amen, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. 
This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Those are pretty simple words. Um, but I, I want to just ask the Lord to, 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 to teach us. So let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, teach us all things whatsoever you've shown us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I don't want to say what I think. I want to say what God says. So, you know, this passage is very familiar. How many have heard this before? Just that raise your hand. Okay, so most of us have heard that. Uh, maybe if you're joining us online, you haven't heard this before. But when we think about what it is to wed like Christ, this is a huge, uh, this is a, a huge passage of Scripture here. And it deals not in, in volume but in meaning. And it, and it exposes us to, to the mystery of Christ in the church. So wives, it says submit. And if you're doing the outline, of course, that's the word submit. Yourselves unto your own husbands. And so let's talk about that. First of all, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So the thing about submission is it's for protection, not oppression. That's the first thing you got to get out of your brain. Whenever you hear the word submit today in our culture, especially in the context of the, the mystery of Christ in the church, and you hear the word submission, the first thing that the devil seated is oh, submission is oppression. It's not protection. And that's because you, the, the devil, that's how he messes it up every time. He's done it since Genesis, right? So God says, don't eat of this. And the devil says, oh, wait, he's not trying to protect you. He's trying to oppress you. So you really need to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because, you know, God's holding out on you, right? I've already been through that. So we attack God's character. Same thing with the husband. Now, unfortunately, a lot of men are idiot sticks, and they don't know how to properly uh, love their wife. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But the idea is that it won't, and this, is, and this gets down to wedding like Christ. So you want to wed somebody who's like Christ, who's not going to abuse their authority in the marriage, right? So if you're, if forgive my language, if you're not wise enough, let me restate what I was thinking. If you're not wise enough to marry a good man, well, you're going to reap what you sow. And if you're a knucklehead and a jerk face and you act one way and then you're another once there's marriage, well, that's not good either, you know. And so human nature is a really nasty thing. That's why the Bible says prove all things and hold fast that which is good. It's never a good idea. We were flipping through the channels or some sort of marriage thing on sling. What was that, Amy? Wedding in one day or marriage at first sight. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Although Rebecca and Isaac did that and it worked out great. Um, it's just not, it's not really the best situation when, you know, when you have Ephesians 5 to look at, right? Why would we do that? All right, so, so submission is for protection, not oppression. In Genesis 3.16, let's look at this in the Bible. Turn back to Genesis 3 and we're going to run through this again. We're not gonna, I'm not going to tarry. Uh, a long time here on these verses. I think we've covered this stuff over and over again, so we'll just touch on it. But let's let's start where where, where the Bible tells us to start in Genesis, because that's the the author of marriage is. I just this happened the other day. I talked to somebody. They're like, "Well, it's just a you know, it's just a piece of paper." Oh no, a marriage is not a piece of paper. When the preacher gets up and said marriage was ordained by God, it's true. God's the one who has ordered marriage. God is the one who blesses marriage. Even in lost people, it, marriage is honorable. It's honor. It's not the same as a saved person, but it's honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. So the, the the marriage God owns it, whether you acknowledge it or not. It don't work well unless you work it His way, and so uh, that's just how it is. All right. So Genesis chapter three, uh, we're not going to go through all this, but in verse sixteen, you know, you guys are probably pretty familiar with the, the chapter. We see uh, the Lord says unto the woman, He said, I will greatly. This is after the fall. 
I will grow, greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Oh my goodness, that's worse than saying submit. He'll rule over you. There's a lot of men that will take that and run with it, won't they? Um, okay, so God ordained Eve's protection through submission to her husband, Adam. Uh, because she didn't listen to God. or You know, we always debate, did Adam tell her? Did she not listen? Whatever the case. It didn't work very well for him. He gave him one commandment, and they both blew it. Adam was responsible, by the way. And so, uh, so now she's got she's to be under the protection of her husband, uh, under, under submission to him. Literally ruling is what it says there. It was Adam's responsibility to protect her. And Adam did a terrible job in Genesis 3, by the way. He was horrible protecting her. So they're both kind of messed up. So God reaffirms the importance of this. Let's look at, go back to the New Testament. And, and ladies, don't worry. I'm going to talk to the men, so just hang on. So uh, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, and that should be in your notes. I'll be turning back to 1 Peter 3. And let's look at uh, verses 1 here in just a moment. So God ordained that for Eve's protection. Now, he reaffirms the importance of submission through Peter's writing as well. So this isn't just an Old Testament thing. This isn't an Ephesians 5 thing alone. Also, was it, would anyone like to read verses 1 through 7? I've got the mic. Anybody? I see Rex. Rex huh? You will. He's not scared. He's not scared to read about wives in church. <laughs> That's a deacon, man. <laughs> it says, Likewise, ye wives, uh, be in subjection to your own husband, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chast chaste conversion coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which it is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is the sight of God to great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, uh, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Amen. So this, a, you know, a good marriage relationship affects your prayer life, doesn't it? It can hinder access to God. So, um, all right. So, this is a good this this word subjection there. Likewise, in verse one, ye wives be in subjection. It's the same exactly the same Greek word that was used for submission in Ephesians chapter five. Same word. So you could say subjection, submission. Um, and that, notice twice now it says it says over in Ephesians five, submit to your what's the next word? Own. And it says here, so be in subjection to your own husbands. So we'll talk about that as well. And then twice here in First Peter, it mentions the conversation, which means that conversation is lifestyle, right? The conversation is not just what you say, but the, the lifestyle in which you live. Now, we don't use conversation 
Actually, they do in legal terms, but in our common vernacular, we don't usually use the word conversation to talk about our lifestyle. Um, but, they, uh, but, but in the, in the Bible t- context, that is what they're saying. Uh, at the time in 1600s when this was written, conversation was meant to be not just your words, but your walk. Now we have two different things. Oftentimes our words don't match our walk, so we've kind of disconnected the two. But, uh, but the conversation means her, her, her life ought to look good to Christ, and that will affect her husband, right? Her, her, her lifestyle, uh, twice, you know, they, they behold your chaste conversation. Now, that obviously is also verbiage, but not just our, not just our words, but, but the actions. Now, for the men that think, oh, yeah, that's for the women. Well, guess what? We, are, we just read all this in chapter 5. Men are to be careful with their words. Men are, why is all that? Because he's showing us that the, the church is like, well, we're like, hey, man, just face it. You're like a woman. <laughs> so, and the older you get, the more you'll realize it. So anyway, the, uh, the reality, though, is that men, men uh, in the church, we lead the church. We are to understand our, our role to submit to the Lord and to be, have a good conversation and all of those things, just like the wives in 1 Peter 3 that he's speaking to. And, of course, he hearkens at the end to Sarah. So you don't have the perfect standard, by the way. If you go back, and there's a lot of encouragement there. And you read Sarah's life. She submitted, but she struggled. And uh, they both did. They were humans, just like the rest of us. And that's even encouraging. God's not asking you to be sinlessly perfect. And he's certainly not asking a man to take Ephesians 5 or 1 Peter and beat his wife over the head with it. That is like the antithesis of what is going on. So husbands, don't be stupid. All right, don't do that. Don't be a jerk face. All right, so, so uh, the word subjection is that same Greek word that's in verse 22 of chapter 5, which is the same word submission. So in this passage, we see that the woman who had a husband who was, who was a poor leader, this isn't, she's not married to Mr. Right. She's married to Mr. Not-So-Hot, and, uh, and uh, she, he needs help. So God even, I mean, God even provides for that because he knows, so, you know, we know. Not every situation starts off well. And sometimes people get saved. They come in, they get saved later, and they're married to a lost person. That's called unequally yoked. But 1 Corinthians 7 says, hey, man, if they're pleased to stay with you, then do it, right? That'll help your children. And by God's grace, they'll get saved, right? That's what we want to see. We want to see the husband and or the wife get saved in due time. All right, so we get that. Um, And so the passage is, is really pretty gracious in regard to that. And so in this passage, we see that a woman who had a husband who is a poor leader must depend upon the guidance of the Holy Ghost, who is that hidden man of the heart, right? So that woman has a guide that's not her husband. It's called the Holy Ghost, the hidden man of the heart. That's who she's following. And in verse 6, we see that God's grace in the life of Abraham and Sarah uh, is, is manifest as, as he attributes the grace of obedience upon Sarah, who certainly laughed uh, at God himself at times, at, at his promises. And, uh, and so God just kind of overlooks that. Right, and uh, because she submitted to Abraham anyway, and so uh, uh, Sarah wasn't sinlessly perfect. So, ladies, you can relax. You don't have to be sinlessly perfect, uh, and and so you just you just got to do you just got to follow the hidden man of the heart, and that should make a, a, any man, even a lost man, should be happy with that. Not that not that every lost man is okay, um, and not even every saved man is because they're jerk faces. But that's another story. All right, so the Lord makes it clear that the husband is the savior of the body. Uh, that's, that's an interesting word in Ephesians 5 and verse 32. The Holy Ghost is setting us up for Ephesians 5, 32. 
and the revelation of the mystery of the husband, the husband, or the uh, yeah, the the bride of Christ and Christ being the husband. Uh, in that verse, uh, where's that at? Where he's the savior of the body. Somebody help me there. And he is the savior of the body. Verse twenty-eight. So I mean, no, that's not it. Twenty-three. Thank you. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, we obviously know Jesus Christ is our Savior, and he is the Savior of the body. But the, the, the husband is to be not the Savior, not to replace Christ, but he is to be sensitive and be aware of. He's got a, he has got a saving role. He's got a responsibility uh, to, to lead the house. I mean, it is his job, um, and so uh, so it's important. And that leads us to verse 32, which is, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So Christ was super submissive to the Father to the point where he went against his own human will and said, not my will, but thine be done, so that he could save the bride, the body of Christ. So husbands, what we learn is that, you know what, it we got to submit. My wife just ain't submitting. Well, let me ask you, are you submitting? How are you doing, pal? Are you giving your life? So, I mean, I'm just saying, well, she needs to submit. Well, so do you, Mr. Savior. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. So, twice we see that phrase, also, own husbands. So, the husband should be willing to die uh, in his wife's stead to maintain their purity and protection. Uh, and that's important. So twice we see the phrase own husbands, and it's used by the Holy Ghost, both there in First Peter and in Ephesians 5. Twice it's mentioned in Ephesians 5 is in that text. It's also mentioned in two separate passages. So it's clear that the submission to your own husband is a good thing. But everything in our culture teaches that is an oppressive thing to submit to your own husband. Am I wrong? It tells, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I think that's pretty normal in our culture to just kind of blow off your, you know, your husband is that guy, love and marriage, love and marriage, whatever. The guy used to, you know, there's, the, I mean, all the sitcoms. I used to get crazy, I used to get, just go crazy when the kids were coming up. If you watch like Nickelodeon or you watch any of these, it's always like, the, the husband's always the biggest doofus. He never understands, both, usually both parents, right? Because the kids know everything, parents don't know anything. And they're just teaching you that, you know, what happened to father knows best? That went out in like the 50s or 60s. That's gone. Now father's an idiot stick. And that's what, that's pretty much portrayed. Or he's effeminate. Or he's, he's absent. He's not even in the picture. It's just totally messed up. You say, yeah, but that's what a lot of families are like. You're right. But that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it biblical. That's certainly not something that we want to emulate. And by the way, if you're single and you're listening, I'm not saying you're a second-class citizen. If you're a single mom, single dad, no, no, understand me. I'm full of grace. But I'm not going to omit what needs to be the standard. Uh, the picture we're following is Christ. That's, that's what we're after in his church. That's the picture. And Paul's already laid out a lot of the attributes of that in Ephesians chapter 5. So, so um, man, it is a bad thing. If it is, a, I'm sorry, if, if it is a bad thing, it's because you've had a bad man, right? If submitting to your husband is a bad thing, it's because you got a bad man. 
And that does happen. Um, a good, kind, godly, loving man would certainly be a joy to a godly woman. Now, you, and you can see that in the Bible, right? So you got guys like uh, Abigail and Nabal. Nabal's a bad man. It's hard to submit to that rascal. He was, a, I mean, he was a jerk. So God took him out. I mean, that literally happened. That's not, I'm not making that up. Um, but then you got a guy who's a king. He's not even saved, doesn't have the spirit of God on him. And Ahasuerus, he's a say, he's, he's just, I mean, he's just some old Gentile king. And he gets him a godly wife like Esther. And man, she handles herself well. And the guy melts in her hands. She changes the course of the whole nation and history. Uh, you know, so it works even on guys that don't have the spirit of God in them. Doing what God tells you to do works. Uh, so um, God takes care of those that need to be taken care of. Now, by the way, and I, I'm, when I, I can always get in hot water because I'm making general statements here. And people, yeah, but what about this? I'm not talking about guys beating up their wives, call the police, you know, take them out behind the building, whatever we got to do. You know, I'm not talking about that. Those things, got those are, it's wrong. So no man should be beating his wife, period. And wives, you know, there's even women that provoke their husbands to beat them, which is even more perverse. I'm like, what kind of weird satanic activity is going through your brain? Stop it. Come and see me. Make it a counseling appointment. I'm not talking about all that wickedness, all right? That's another, that's another perversion going on. All right. I'm talking about people that have some sense, all right? So, so a woman should, should not look past her husband for leadership, uh, and, and she should also trust God to protect her through her relationship with her husband. She's got to know. You know, she's only got to be married to him for 10 minutes and realize, oh, he's not perfect. What happened? Right? You got married. <laughs> and so... Uh, but by the way, you're not either. All right. So, uh, so a good husband would, would not lord over his wife. A good husband won't do that, but he will love and protect her. So in Proverbs 31 in the book of Ruth and with Abigail, the virtuous woman, uh, and Ruth, um, who are both industrious, they're strong, they're productive. So they're not doormats. So you can be, a woman can be strong, productive, industrious, and submissive. Those are not they are not opposites. All that can be, you can have a very strong woman that, and very industrious woman. The one, actually, the virtuous women in the Bible, like Ruth, one of the most industrious women you're going to see was submissive as well. And uh, it works really good. It's super attractive, by the way. Super attractive to a good man, like Boaz. And, uh, and so that was very, uh, very virtuous. Uh, strong, same thing with... Uh, uh, Nabal and uh, Abigail. Abigail was very, I mean, strong, industrious, sharp, out in front. I mean, she was <laughs> taking the bull by the horns and submitted to her husband and to the Lord. And the Lord took care of Nabal. And so, you know, there's these examples God gives us. They're, they're blessings to the Lord, their husband and their children. So a virtuous woman, a woman who understands uh, submission is for her protection, not not something that's there for her oppression, who can trust the Lord, right? Her faith is in Christ. Her faith is in Christ even with her husband, who she knows isn't quite perfect. Um, man, you know what? God's going to use her in a big way in the life of her husband, the life of her family, and, of course, the life of the church body. That's going to happen. That's why it's so important to be equally yoked. i got to talk about this. Not only is it important to be, e to be yoked with a Christian, that is, that is the basics, but there has to be more to it than that. Well, no, there doesn't. 
There doesn't always have to be more to it than that. I would encourage you <laughs> to have more to it than that because when we say equally yoked, a lot of times what that means in our culture was they just need to be saved. Um, okay, it, let me. It's so important that you are saved and you marry a saved person, right? It's it's kind of gets back the Old Testament law, of the kinsman redeemer. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Is a picture of what it is today, the New Testament, where you are to be married only in the Lord. So, you, if Amy, God forbid, were to pass, I'm only allowed to marry in the Lord. But it, even in that, I don't think it's wise just to marry any old woman that's in the Lord. And vice versa, if I kicked over dead tomorrow, I would not want Amy just to marry any old dude that walks up and says, hey, I'm saved. No, you better prove it. And you better see that they're yoked. And, and it works out biblically. Now, no one's ever, you know, you can't, you know, you'll find out more along the way, but you need to prove all things. So let me just kind of give you my wisdom on that. Uh, just because it's okay doesn't mean it's wise. I've, uh, I've had people say, man, Brian, you know, Uncle Joe married cousin J- uh, Jill, and she's 20, and he's 40. And is that, you know, they're third cousins. Is that wrong? Can the, the family's upset. I'm like, well, is it biblically wrong? No. Is it is it wrong in the law of the state of Missouri? No, that's legal. Well, what's the problem? I say, oh, the, pro- oh, the problem is it's not wise. That wasn't a wise decision because everybody has heartburn. <laughs> so I would if they would have asked, nobody was asking me, I would have said, yeah, that's probably not a wise decision. I can give you about 15,000 reasons why this is, a, you know, but whatever. It's not wrong. It's not it's not like God's going to judge them. I mean, that's they'll reap what they'll deal with it. You know, and uh, and maybe who knows? You know, maybe that's what God wants. Boaz was older than Ruth. You know, that's probably what they're quoting. And so, you know, whatever. But it may not be wise, right? So, there's 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 that absolutely ironclad box. Let's be equally yoked and uh, be saved. But then it's also wise to to make sure that you you're a good match. You're compatible. What if your daughter or son son comes home with a carnal Christian, Dad? Is that okay? Well, if it's a son, you better come in with a girl, and if it's a daughter, a guy, to start with there, right? That's got to be within those parameters. But, oh, Dad, he's a Christian. Oh, Dad, she's a Christian. Okay. Well, this dad may not be happy with that. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're godly. How many Christians do you know that don't? The people that profess Christ don't walk in the Spirit. I'm not interested in that. I'm not. And, and by the way, if my daughter or my son brings home a sweetheart, young man or young lady, and I think they're godly, and I think my kids are not walking with the Lord, I'll tell that person, you probably ought to go find someone else. Amy and I talk about that all the time. I, w- I wouldn't do that to somebody. Marriage isn't a project. Uh, the work needs to go on before you get wet. You get wet. There's always work to do afterward. <laughs> But you don't want to marry a project. I'm just telling you. If you can keep from it. Now, people do it all the time. I'm just giving you my advice. Uh, a lot of people, oh, oh, yeah, they said they're saved. Okay. Uh, is there any fruit on that tree? Where's, where's the fruit? Right? You say, where's the beef? Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Okay, so many times, this is what happens. A woman finds a man who makes a profession of faith but doesn't walk it out. And so the, the first 21 verses of Ephesians 5 talk about walking in love, walking in light, 
walking circumspectly. So we have a great template we just spent a couple weeks looking at. And what does that look like? Well, are they loving? Are they walking? Are they radiating a lot the light of Christ? Are they wise? Are they walking? Are they full of the joy of the Lord? Are they singing praises to God? Are they, are they at the bar? Getting a different spirit. Well, Brian, don't talk about that. I mean, I can drink a little. <laughs> right, okay. Next. All right. Do not submit in marriage to a man who has not submitted to the Lord in his walk with Christ. Ladies, are you hearing me? I know most of you are here married, but maybe no, some of you aren't. And maybe you're listening online. Listen, let me say that again. Do not submit in marriage to a man who has not submitted to the Lord. Oh, man, that makes me hurt when you see that happen. Mm, and it does. So how do I know if he has submitted, Brian? And that is, a, I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. Because, uh, well, number one, his pastor will give him a good report. You say, well, Brian, he doesn't go to church. Red flag waving. Red flag waving. Well, he said he's saved. I don't care. If he ain't going to church now, he ain't going to go to church later. And if he ain't going to church, he ain't leading you to church. And think this through. If he isn't going to church now and he's not going to lead you to church when you have your little kids, where are they going to go? They ain't going to church. But he'll go to the game. He'll go hunting. Yeah, I know. He loves Jesus, though. Right. And if you're a man, you're not, and you got a problem with that, come talk to me. You're not a man. You're just playing. All right. So the people he serves in the ministry will be able to give you a witness of his character and leadership. Right? The people that he's serving in ministry will also be able, ladies, listen, all you got to do, you just got to talk to the pastor. You just go talk to the people in ministry that's been serving alongside of him, people that know him at church, that have been working with him in ministry. Oh, wait a minute. Nobody's seen that character yet in his life. He's never done anything in ministry. Not anything. You don't even hold the door. He's not holding the door at church. He's not going to hold the door for you. I'm just saying. He hasn't even cleaned the trash up at church. He hasn't even mowed the lawn at church. I'm just saying. Be careful. Uh, at least a yellow flag, maybe a red flag. You say, but Brian, I'm looking for a project. <laughs> no, you're not. I promise you, you're not looking for a project. You don't need a project. You go talk to his mama about that project. Okay, okay, Brian, you're too hard. Okay, okay, then let me, let me ease it down for you. Go talk to his family. His parents, his siblings, they will vouch for his godly character. Uh, truly, though, even if they're lost. Say, well, he doesn't have a godly family. She, you know, well, you know what? Even a guy that comes out of a family that's not godly, they'll know if he's godly. You'll be able to tell. You'll know. It's actually probably easier to see. His disciples will bear witness of his godly character. You say, wait a minute, he doesn't have any fruit of discipleship. 
I'm going to give you some grace here because if you're a young couple, all right. But if the guy's been around a while, why doesn't he have fruit of discipleship? You want to have kids with him? What makes you think he's going to be able to disciple your kids if he can't disciple people now? I'm just saying. Yellow flag. You can start discipling pretty young. Now, we shouldn't compare ourselves with ourselves. That's unwise. But I will tell you, just my own testament, I started discipling when I was about 18. My wife, I, she didn't know it. I was praying. I'm like, Lord, I want to propose to Amy. And I had a list, long list, out of Proverbs 31. But one of the big things was I want to see her lead people to Christ and disciple them. And she, what that girl, Christina, she led this girl, Christina, at school to Christ, and she discipled her. And man, and I didn't ask, I didn't say anything. That was just the Lord. That was just God wrapping me over the head going, dude, you better wake up and look around. I, we broke up for a little bit, and I went on this, on this uh, uh, Chris, it was the first trip I went to Monmouth. It was a lock-in for the youth. Brian uh, Robbins was putting it together up at the YMCA, and I was the young kid on the trip, and, I was, and it was with a bunch of singles that were in their 20s and 30s, and some marrieds, but mainly a lot of singles. And, uh, man, I, that was a huge eye-opener to me because I, 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 I didn't even understand. I didn't, know if there, I didn't even know there was such thing as, quote, Christian dating. I didn't even understand all that. So I'm just, like, following Jesus. And then I get on this trip, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, these, all these people are ready. I mean, we were there to do a mission, but they were also very heavily engaged in trying to get the attention of the opposite sex all over the place. And I'm like, this is like high school, but these folks are like, they got careers. <laughs> so I'm like, man. Uh, God said, hey, Brian, you th I think I've already fit you up with the person you need. And so it was, it was on that trip, I realized, I'm like, I came home, I'm like, there was this Christian girl flirting with me. I didn't even realize it till we're like, you know, 100 miles down the road. And I'm like, what is this? That was my first indication. I'm like, oh, this isn't, this isn't the gospel. We're, this is like high school. We're not, I'm not doing this. I checked out and then I, I kept watching Amy and then I proposed to her. And so I'm just saying, you want to find somebody who's serious about Jesus. And uh, you'll find them in time. Now, I'm not, I'm not making fun of all that Christian. I mean, I'm sure in different circumstances. I just was like, God was good to me. I, I, I just had, I, God just took care of me. He, I had my wife built in. So all I had to do was ask her. And thank goodness she said yes. She's probably going, I don't know. But uh, thanks for saying yes, honey. She's like, yeah, you better be quiet. All right. So, um, what was that? Where was I at? So, attending church and participating in ministry, discipling others—that is a really important aspect of, of of Christian matrimony. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about in the church and values for us that are people here that have families that have children. Um, those, those are big deals. So, if you revere. Um, or I'm sorry, if you reverse engineer what I just said, uh, right? If, if, you are not, if those aren't values in your life, they won't be values in the person that you choose to submit to. You say, yeah, but Brian, this happened over here and this happened and in our life. I know, I know, I know God is gracious and merciful, but I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm reading the Bible and I'm saying, why do you want to start off wrong if you can keep from it? I care too much about people to say, oh, you know what? Just roll the dice and see what happens. Sometimes God will be gracious, and he's merciful. But if you can keep from it, do, why don't we do the best job we can so God can get the best results? 
I mean, that's really what I'm shooting for. So if you reverse engineer everything I said you, and you submit to a man who doesn't submit to the Lord's will concerning the word of God, ministry, discipleship in the local church, you will have the following. You will have a man who draws you away from fellowship in the word. He'll draw you away from uh, fellowship with believers and he will draw you away from the local New Testament church. I'm not saying you can't do all those things. He will be drawing you. You will be, you will be fighting. You, there will be tension, most likely. A man who will undermine your ability to reproduce spiritually and in disciples, including your biological or adopted children. It will affect your children. So I'm just saying, be very careful who you choose, who you submit to. Submission is only a bad word if you submit to the wrong person. <laughs> That's the problem. When you submit to the knucklehead, that is a bad thing. I feel for you. I agree with you. I'm not going to argue with you. He's a jerk face. But submit to the right guy. So I've just given a, just a little outline of some things. What These are things that God puts in place so you can have some pr protection and some parameters. And so you don't make a bad, foolish decision because your emotions will lead you all kinds of places. And you can't allow emotional decision to over. This is a big deal. The biggest outside of salvation, who you marry is the second biggest decision of your life. And those are some big decisions. And most people make them when they're young, like they're 18, 19, 25 in that age range. Some of the biggest decisions of life are made. And then you got the rest of your life to run it out. All right. So if if, um, uh, if you have any questions, seriously, please consult a godly and loving uh, man charged to cover you before you give yourself away to a dog. Uh, you, you, your father, uh, your grandfather, your uncle, certainly if you have a pastor, uh, mature ministry head, all those type of men should help guide and be honest and give you godly wisdom and care about you enough to be honest. Um, and, I, and by the way, I'm not one of those guys that thinks that young people shouldn't get married or that they have to be sinlessly perfect. Or I'm, I'm pretty gracious with all that. I get it. I was young once. I get it. You gotta, you gotta be gracious and kind. I'm all into that, but especially if you're brought up in the words, you ought to know better and you ought to do better, because God has more for you, and you don't want to short circuit God's best. And so, um, let me give you one last word of encouragement. <clears throat> well, no, let me give you two good words of encouragement. It, it is good to be married, uh, ladies, but no man is perfect. Not even a fully functional Christian man that's doing what's good, right. That's why you need to submit to Christ, because he is the only man. Listen to me, ladies. The only man who will ever satisfy your needs is Jesus Christ. Do your husband a favor and be in for Jesus. Because if you're in for Jesus, you can put up with him. <laughs> and so, uh, and he'll satisfy the deepest needs. And it's not fair to your husband to make him try to be Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the body, but not with a capital S. Right? He can only do so much. He's got limitations. So the last word of encouragement is if, you, if, you, um, if your spouse's husband cannot lead you now and is a project, ladies, listen, if, if you're not married and you're with somebody who's going to marry you and he can't lead you now, he's a project, I would encourage you to walk away. Walk away uh, until he can walk on his own and can lead you. Because you could be making a big mistake that you will regret for the rest of your life on earth. And that's serious. I'm not even kidding. Okay, let me park the car for just a moment before I talk to the husbands. Because I've said a lot. I wasn't going to do QA, but I think I'll just pause. For, is there any QA that needs, needs to happen right now? Or comments? Yeah. 
Hey, get, get him a mic because we need to, they won't hear you online. They'll be going silence in heaven for a half an hour. No. <laughs> oh, in Amos 3, it says, can two walk oh, together yeah. except they be agreed? Yeah, Amos 3. That means they, that takes a lot of counsel, a lot of looking, like you said, and they have to agree which way they're going to walk. Yeah. You know, my disciple, lawyer, Earl Cross, he said something very wise to me once when I was a young Christian. He says, I think any two Christians can be married if they really want to submit to the, I mean, age, race, whatever, different cultures. I agree with that. I think that was a very wise thing. I do think two Christians that are serious about the Lord will make it. But I also think that's a, just wisdom is two can't walk together except they be agreed. And uh, opposites do attract, and there's some synergy around being not, you know, totally, uh, you know, the same type of people. There's nothing wrong with differences, but you're right. If you're not agreed on who Jesus is, you're not agreed on salvation, you're not agreed on uh, the Word of God. I mean, there's a lot of, that will, those are the most important issues of life. It will bring problems in your marriage. I just say amen to that. That's really wise, Amos 3.3. Anybody else? Got a word or a question? Is this, is this, is is this good? Are you guys getting anything, or is this a waste of my breath? Okay, I hope it's good, because even if you're married, and like me and Amy, we're married, we're not going anywhere, we're, we're there. I still got kids, and if the Lord tarries, maybe grandkids someday. So, really, your role, wives, uh, after you're married, is also to help the younger generation, right? Give them wisdom, help them grow and go, and so it just it keeps going. All right, so. All right, then you're ready. To, this lady's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm ready to move to the men. Not right now. Okay. You've taken too long. Well, he's right. you're right because there's more, as they say at every wedding, there's twice as much written to the men. as there is. There's more than twice, by the way. More than twice as much as written to the husbands as to the ladies. So let's look back at that and see what, the, what does God tell the husbands. It's pretty simple for the ladies. Submit for uh, protection, not oppression, right? Submit for protection, not oppress, oppression. And so, um, husbands, what are you to do? Well, the, the blank is love your wives. Love your wives. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Oh man, there's a lot in that. I'm going to go as long as I can here. I may run out of time, but more to the husbands than the wives, right? So to, to whom much is given, much is required. Uh, God expects men to step up to their responsibilities as husbands. Bottom line, there's no excuses for men. And uh, if you're if you're not if you're a husband and you want, if you're a man and you want to be married, then then be a man is really what it boils down to. Don't be a boy, be a man. That's actually the next thing we're going to talk about. Ephesians six: children, servants, masters. It starts off with wax strong, right? Then you got to wax. Uh, you got to wax on for war, wax on, wax off. No, you got you to gotta get strong enough to go to battle. And then a whole, ultimately, with the wisdom, you become an ambassador, like Paul was an ambassador for Christ, right? So there's a maturation. Maturity continues. You don't have to be full. I don't think a young man, uh, you know, 20-year-old young man, 22-year-old 
a couple, whatever, you know, coming out of college. Actually, little Ellie Yoder, she just got engaged to um, uh, Bill and uh, Carolyn Johnson's son. Um, uh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, they don't have to have everything worked out perfectly. Uh, but you know what? They need to be going that way. And, uh, and all these things I've mentioned ought to, be, ought to be working in their life. And so there is a lot required. God expects men to step up to their responsibilities as husbands. And it's imperative for husbands to understand the biblical reality of how Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, I will tell you, I understand that a lot more today than I did uh, in 1989 when I got married. But the reality is, I will tell you, uh, I was deeply impacted by Christ in the church in 1989 when amy come bust i'll never forget she came through those doors in her white dress with her grandpa walking down the aisle it was like the lights of heaven opened it's like oh i was getting all teary-eyed because i was thinking about christ in the church when i saw her and i the way i saw her and i thought that's how god saw me man it touched my heart it's like man i can't believe he loves me like this and you know what he loves me more than that there's i'm 20 well we weren't even 20 19 years old i was pretty carnal <laughs> so there's still a lot of lust going on, but the reality was that I did get it. There was love, you know, it was awesome. And so the, it's imperative, though, for a husband to understand that reality of how Christ loves the church. Now, you'll grow in that, and part of the beauty of marriage is growing in, in that understanding. So, so it's Christmas time, pretty baby. No, it's Christmas season, and, and we're, we're reminded of the humility of Christ, aren't we? I mean, he is, he is the example of submission he limited himself to die on the cross for our sins and that's what christmas is all about jesus's name is savior he came to die he he i mean that's what his life was about on earth um and of course he resurrected and he'll come back and take care of business but the text in ephesians 5 that we read in verses 26 to 27 teaches that a husband gives himself for his wife that he might might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word so men cannot wash we cannot wash our wife in the word if we are not being washed ourselves i mean how am i going to wash amy in the word if i'm not in the word myself it's a wise man who quits complaining and starts washing starts washing uh, he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That implies that we get dirty. Okay. So do you want to wash someone else if you're not clean yourself? If you, if you just came out of the garage and you got grease all over your hands and dirt and come out of the lawn and Oh, here, let me wash you up and make you purdy. Well, that ain't going to work, right? First thing you got to do is you got to clean up. Well, you clean someone else up, right? You, you come in, for, some of us probably do, come in from outside all filthy, then start making dinner. Uh, I hope you wash your hands, man, because I don't want to eat there. I'm kind of weird like that. I like clean hands. Ever since I started going to City of Mission, I became a washing hands fanatic, man. I was like, oh, oh man, kill the germs, kill the germs. I'm not a germaphobe at all but i am more germ germ sensitive uh, as a christian than i was before uh, and you know what spiritually it's the same thing though you ought to be sensitive to the filth 
as a man and realize that, you know what, you can't clean the filth up in your own house if you're not cleaning up yourself in the Word. You're not going to wash others if you're not getting cleaned up yourself. So it's got to be a priority in, in our lives if it's going to be a priority in our family's lives that he might sanctify, set it apart, and present his wife, right? Uh, that's what he's supposed to do. You say, but she won't listen. She won't do this. She won't do that. Okay, she maybe she won't. Husbands, this is what you got to do. You got to die trying. That's it. But, 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 I don't want to hear but. You married her. You saw her mother. You came to, you heard me on, you heard me talk about it being equally yoked. You already, okay. Now it's your job. It doesn't matter. Your job is to die trying. It's that simple. Die trying. I will tell you, there are, there, there's women out there that will not submit. They won't submit to the Lord. They're not going to submit to their husband. Just like there are jerk-faced men out there that will not honor their wife no matter what. And, and you got to call the police on those jerks to get them in a safe place, put an ex parte on them or whatever. And that stuff happens. That's the humanity that we live in. But by God's grace, it doesn't have to go that way. Right? And so, uh, man, is, is to the men, man, men need to be all in. If more men were all in, I think more women would be all in. And then they, when they're at the water cooler and, the late, and if they're talking to their friends, you know, at work who all tell them that you need to leave that jerk so you can get to, you, I met this cute guy at the bar. He's so awesome. He's just like Jesus. Right. Yeah. They won't listen to that BS and they'll stick to the Bible. And the place will be taken. So this implies that he is clean in the word himself before he washes his wife, verses 26 to 27. Okay, I got to keep moving. So the husband is to love his wife as his own flesh, as his own flesh. So a man who doesn't care for his wife, oh, you know what the Bible says? A guy who won't care for his wife is worse than an infidel. What is an infidel? Yeah, it's an unbeliever. So an infidel isn't just, you know, we are used to it in the context of Islam, right, where all of us Americans are infidels, right? Well, that's a Bible word. And in 1 Timothy 5, 8, the Bible says, but if any provide not for his own, especially they of their own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Did that verse pop up? It did not. So you guys can find that. He's worse than an infidel. Worse than a lost man. So... The husband and the wife, they're, they're one flesh, and, and we are one with Christ. That's what verses 30 through 31 are. That's, that's dealing with the, the mystery of Christ in the church. So as he gets down here, he says, For we are members of his body and his flesh and his bones. Now let me just pause here because Paul has been making this case, right? He spent two chapters dealing with unity. And the last thing he says in chapter 4 is, Hey, this is how you deal with each other. Remember? He's like, in the body of Christ, let's not grieve the Holy Spirit, whereby we're sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. If you want to have unity in the church, right, that's what you got to do. And then he says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's what you got to do in the church, right? Lord's Supper, all that, right? Yeah, yeah. Amen, amen, amen. Listen. If you want to do what 
if you want to make it like Christ, that reason, why does that need to happen in the church? Because that's just a picture of the way it ought to be in your marriage. I mean, if you reverse engineer that, and your marriage looks like uh, clamor and evil speaking and, and uh, bitterness and wrath and anger, you, you need to rethink this thing. That you are grieving and quenching the Spirit of God. Sp- the Spirit of God is not working in that marriage. It needs to be fixed, and it can be. How's it fixed? Well, you've got to be kind one to another. You've got to look at your heart. You've got to be tenderhearted. You have to, be for- you have to forgive. Well, I can't forgive. You don't understand. You know what I understand? I know that Jesus forgave me. Now, I'm not saying people have to be a doormat, like some serial adulterer. There's means to deal with adultery. Come and talk to me about it. I will help you. Some serial abuser. You know, there's ways to deal with all of those things. So I'm not saying continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid, right? There are, there's lines. There's other means of protection. If your husband won't protect you, you come to the police, come to the, you know, come to the pastor, come to your father, get a man that you know cares about you. We will intervene and uh, try to lead you to a place of protection. I'm not talking about that, okay? That I am, but I am saying that within the heart of, of the... If we can do this in chapter 4, then you can do it in chapter 5. When you get over here, and he's talking about being members of the body, one and another, right? How do we edify one another? Well, we do it in love. We build each other in love. How do you build your marriage in love? It's, yeah, it's the man's job to love, but you know what? It really, it really works if you love your husband, if you respect him. I didn't get into that. You gotta, the best way to get to a man is honoring, respecting. best way to get to the wife is the lover. It's that simple. And give yourself for it. Okay, so, um, so one flesh, one with Christ. So Paul's driving the discussion to Christ and the church in these verses. And the, the saints who are walking in wisdom and in light are now walking with Christ. Right? So if they're walking in wisdom, they're walking in light, they're walking circumspectly, well, guess what? Now they're, they're walking with Christ. They're members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. They're walking with him. Every member's a gift. We know that from Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Every member has, is a gift, and every member uh, has an important function in the body of Christ. And just as every person has an important function in the body of Christ, guess what? Every, each member of, the, of a marriage has got a very important function. The husband's job is to emulate Christ. The wife's job is to emulate the church. It's very simple, but it's it's profound, and it's powerful. Uh, you know, you know, you, when you think about like the most powerful things in the world, it's it's simple, like a nuclear reactor. It's just a you know uranium or plutonium or whatever, bing and bam. <laughs> just crazy how simple it is. It's scary. So so we are members of his flesh, his bones, and the blood is not mentioned. And it was shed for the atonement. And now we, like Christ, will have a body fit for eternity. And this is why in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty, the Bible tells us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And in verse, I'm going uh, is, to, is, is Ray up there? Ray, can you run those verses? Because I'm going to have to move quick. Oh, okay. Uh, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty, you guys will have to turn there. It says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So we cannot... Uh, we cannot, our flesh and our blood is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's only flesh and bone. But here in the text, it's really cool because we are of his flesh and of his bones. So we get saved, we're made one in Christ, we are his flesh, we are his bone. We get married, we become one with our spouse. This is the reason a man should leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife. 
Husbands, look past uh, the exterior. Do that. You got to look past the exterior. Proverbs 31, 30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. So a wise man is looking past the exterior and looking at the hidden man of the heart. What is he looking for? He's looking for Christ. Do I see Christ in there, the hidden man of the heart? Remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, that's what he, the hidden man of the heart, that's what she's supposed to be displaying. God says, if you want to impact your husband, let him see the hidden man of the heart. Why? That's going to make him go, whoa. That's the high authority. That's how you get credibility with your husband. Look, look for a woman who fears the Lord. So if you compromise your relationship sexually, i got to say this too. If you compromise your relationship sexually, you are asking for big problems in Christian marriage. This is so common, I just got to throw it out there. I don't care if it's the guy or the gal, because it takes two to tango, right? If she cannot follow you in ministry, you are not prepared to marry her. Do you favor and, and cut, do her a favor and cut her loose so God can provide her a man she can follow? If you're leading your wife into sin instead of to Christ, do her a favor and let another man lead her. Well, Brian, you don't understand. I, I'm talking to men, not right now. I'm talking to husbands, men that want to be husbands. Uh, if you undermine your relationship uh, with fornication, you're going to pay the price in marriage. It's going to cheapen your marital bed. I can't, that's all I got to tell you. And uh, it's going to happen. So uh, you, need to, you, need to, you need to repent and you need to prove it out. And that's what I, and that, I, can, I just can say that because I'm the pastor, but I'm also, I know from years of life and experience. And so um, don't cover it up, don't hide it, deal with it. You don't have to come and tell the whole church. I'm not saying that. You don't even have to come tell me, but I'm telling you. So especially especially those of you on second marriages, man, I have found it seems like fornication is more prevalent among people who know better and are married on the second time around for whatever reason than it was for the, the young people that we wear the little promise rings and all that other stuff, which is great stuff to do. But, the, but at the end of the day, man, fornication, it doesn't matter if you're 60 years old, 16 years old, it, you're going to pay a price. It's going to affect you. I'm not saying God can't overcome it, but I'm telling you, you need to do it by the book. So if, if she cannot follow you in ministry, you're in trouble. If you, cannot, uh, if you are not prepared to be a father to her children and do what it takes to provide for her and her family from day one, I would tell you you don't have any business marrying her. Now, I'm not saying a young man, a young lady needs to plan on having kids day one. No, not at all. I think a man should be prepared for that day one. If a young man's saying, you know, I, I want to get married, but I don't want to have kids till I'm 30 and I'm 20. Well, then wait till you're 30 to get married. Uh, you need to be ready because the chances are you could have kids when you're 22, 25, 26. <laughs> They're going to come. I'd rather see you ready than not ready. Uh, because that lady needs someone who wants to raise her kids and not raise, you know, instead of having one child, she has two. You know, you don't want to, if, if you're, if a lady, I mean, there's nothing that would make a lady, makes a lady more resentful than when, or, or a guy's like, man, I, she doesn't respect me. Well, let me ask you, is she raising you as though she's, you or her child? I mean, that's, no wonder you don't feel honored because you're not honorable. And sometimes ladies like to do that. They want to mama their, their husbands. A man does not want to be mama. If he does, man, you've made a mistake. I'm just telling you. 
Now you think, Brian, that's your opinion. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You've married a boy and not a man. And now you're going to be raising your husband along with your kids, and it's going to be a heavy load. And what will happen is you'll get resentful and bitter toward that man, and you will not like it. And it's all going to, you're going to blame him, blame him, blame him. Before you know it, the root of bitterness is in you, and you're just as guilty. I'm just saying. I've lived a couple days. So if you're not prepared to be a father, then, man, why don't you get, get prepared? Paul is clear. Now, when I, I probably wasn't prepared to be a father when I was 19, but I was ready to be one. You know what I'm saying? I was mentally, I was willing, I was ready, I was working, I was thinking. I'm like, how am I going to take care of Amy? And if we have a kid, very possible we could have a child within nine months from July 22nd of 1989, right? And, uh, and you know, that didn't happen. But uh, we, were, we were trying soon thereafter, like at, uh, I think 22, so we were trying. Well, we kept trying. We're still trying. But anyway, um, Paul is clear in 1 Timothy 5.8 that, that if you are living like a lost man, you're not qualified to lead a sister in marriage. Fathers, if you consent to giving your Christian daughter away to a man like that, you are a foolish father. You are not protecting your daughter. And if she says, well, Daddy, I love him, and you like him, man, that's your problem. You need to love her enough to say no. Your job as a father is to sort out and at least protest, right? You can't, you can't tell an adult woman what to do. I mean, at some point she'll do what she wants to, but at least you could protest if you know this is going the wrong direction. I'm not saying you shouldn't let them come over for dinner. I'm not saying you sh- if she goes against your will, don't excommunicate her from that. You're, she's going to need you, Dad, so be wise. But at least protest. Be protesting. Hopefully she's got enough, she loves you enough to listen. Your job as a father is, to, is to, to be there to protect her until you hand her off. I love the most, to me, the most incredible part of a wedding ceremony is actually when the father hands off his daughter. That, that, just, that just chokes me up. And I can still remember this, that incredible burden, in a, not in a bad way, but the responsibility that sets in when you take a lady. I mean, I took Amy from her grandfather. I felt it. I took it serious. And I was raised in a way where it was my responsibility, and I was expected to do it, you know. And and uh, I was there was no bailout plan. <laughs> and uh, man, that's a great bur- you know what, that, ladies, that's the kind of men you want to marry men that are willing to take on the responsibility no matter what, because that's what that's what uh, a lady that's what God did for us. He took on our burden of sin no matter what. So point C, and I got to be done. Uh, then he gets to the mystery of Christ in the church. The mystery of, of, of Christ in the church. And uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pause right here because uh, i got too much to say. It's like that old movie, Smoking the Bandit. i got a long way to go and a short time to get there. And I'm going to pause on Christ in the church here, but I'll just let me just quickly read the passage and we'll close here. And he says here in verse 32, And this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular... So love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence, there it is, reverence her husband. And what a great mystery. So uh, this is really not about marriage in chapter 5. It's really about the mystery of Christ in the church. That's why it's being revealed in the context of the local New Testament church. And one of the things that the devil wants to do, uh, in addition to destroying the local New Testament church, is to destroy your marriage. Because every marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. 
and and the, it's it's an incredible thing. So when we get together next week, I'm going to walk you through some types of Christ in the church in the Bible, and we'll look at that those last two verses and wrap up. If we got time, we'll jump into Ephesians chapter six, uh, and uh, and we are having service next Wednesday night. Um, the the kids are on next Wednesday night, so bring your family. We might have more people next week actually, uh, or we may have less. I don't know, but we'll uh, we'll roll with that. Are there any questions? Anything? Anybody have any questions? Comments? All right. I hope this is edifying. I hope this is encouraging uh, and uh, profitable to the kingdom of God because that's what's most important. All right. Well, then let's have a word of prayer. And, we'll, and uh, thank you for joining us tonight. If you're online, anybody show up online tonight? All right. Well, we're glad that you're with us. Pray that God's blessing your gizzard and that uh, you have a great rest of the week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.